Yeah, dude, I mean, here's the thing. Actually, this episode is going to be interesting only because Courtney is not here today. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she's got book club. So, I mean, and listen. <laughs> is it book club? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> joking. It is book club. <laughs> Courtney's got book. And the thing is, typically we do the show on Tuesdays. Yeah. But because Courtney, we had to move to Thursdays because of some scheduling issues with the station, Courtney has book club on Thursdays, so she's going to be missing every third show, which is fine. Oh, okay. But the thing is, Ryan's also not here for reasons. So because of that, you know, we've got reasons. a crew together. But but the, the, the actual balance of personalities is in the favor of, like, that kind of, like, mellow, like, easy listening kind of conversation. Welcome to Smooth Yeah, take offense as, to that. As, You're I mean, saying I'm a mellow, easy listening person? This is true. Is it, that's true. Brendan's, Brendan's not. Brendan, yeah. Brendan is more towards my end of the spectrum, I guess. By the way, me and Brendan are on the spectrum, clearly. Yes, you two are. I think is kind of like a jackass, man. <laughs> um, Bill Knight said it, okay. Oh, that's why, I, yeah, that's why I took, oh, here's, my, here's my story. I got a call today, right? Yeah. Not a call, I got a text. From it's one of my old professors. Story. I barely started. Did you tell Brandon this? No. Story? He, oh, okay. No, he doesn't know the story. No, I just think he got a call, <laughs> he man. Got, he, like, he, are you not hyped? Brandon's a, a hype call. man, dude. He 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 hypes things up. Look, I, I got a text from one of my professors, <laughs> mm. and she asked me if I would be interested in doing some guest speaking for one of her classes mm-hmm. that she's doing. This is my Asian Pacific Studies teacher. By the way, this is the same teacher. This is the teacher who. For the Asian Pacific Studies program, they had a um, fundraising drive. Okay. You can remember this. This is the fundraising drive oh, where they selected a restaurant mm-hmm. and they got it so a portion of all of the profits from this restaurant for a certain amount of time mm-hmm. go towards the program. <laughs> Tell them what the restaurant yeah. is. The restaurant they selected was Panda Express oh, for an Asian Pacific Studies program. And I told her, I pointed out, listen, I want you to know, the most recent Panda Express commercial was literally advertising Yellow Fever. It, they didn't. I mean, it was a straight-up Yellow Fever commercial. That's why I pointed this out to her, the, like just the insanity of an Asian Pacific Studies program yeah. using – Panda Express to raise funds when their advertising campaign was Yellow Fever, you know? And I once told her, you know, that, that this program focuses a lot on the Filipino stories, the uh, Korean, Japanese, Chinese stories, um, but, and it focuses like one week on India or like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of the classes, both on cinema and entertainment, but yeah. also on history and culture, focuses very little on South Asia. And I yeah. pointed that out. I was like, I, I'm South Asian, I'm Sri Lankan. So for me, I was like, I mean, I was disappointed that we didn't have that much focus. Yeah. And especially because when considering uh, courses on like American interaction, mm-hmm. there's a lot more focus on East Asian interaction with America. Right. But South Asia has very little interaction. And so because of that, there's not as much focus. So anyway, the point is, I, I point out, like I, I basically straight up said, like, we don't really talk about South Asia in this in this program. Right. So, dude, so, okay, so she sends me a text message mm-hmm. and she asked if I'd like to be a guest speaker in one of the new classes she has. And That's dude, cool. the class is on South Asian culture and there's gonna be a week, fo- or like some period, I'm assuming, because she mentioned it, focusing on Sri Lankan history. That's <laughs> I amazing. I was blown away. That is dude, amazing. Cause, <laughs> dude, I was blown away because I kind of felt like I had a part in that because I was like really pointing that out to her yeah. a lot, you know? and. Well, I it, guess she... It, it goes along with a lot of instructors. Like, they don't know how to improve their curriculum if someone says something. Yeah. And, dude, when I took uh, Asian American Studies, like, years ago, mm-hmm. I had the same issue. It was just focused on, the, the I guess, the Filipinos, the uh, Chinese, Japanese, Koreans, and that mm-hmm. was it. They touched on, like, South Asians, like, once. Yeah. 
And all they talked about, really, the emphasis was, like, eventually they kind of merged into uh, the, the Chicano population in Southern California, and that was it. I'm like, what else is there happening? Well, yeah, Columbus did end up going into the wrong place. He didn't have the right <laughs> intentions. Yeah. Uh, he was yeah. trying to go to your he neighbors. Asked, he asked the right questions but came to the wrong conclusions. Yep. <laughs> Brendan, I am so sorry that you're the lone white guy <laughs> in, like, a serious-ass conversation between three Asians, um, dude. Get ready. Welcome to another episode of Ryan and Noosh's Potluck Dinner Party. Mm. <laughs> what did what? you bring? Wait, is that the name for this thing now? You know that I change the name of the show every episode, right? Oh, I've, I've okay, never... Right. Here's the thing. <laughs> Going back to Sri Lankan culture. Is, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think it's, a, it's an Asian culture thing. I mean, it is it is rather taboo to talk about death, right? I mean, it, it is. Okay, it's sure, taboo. Yeah. So yeah. you never want to say Ryan and Noosh are dead. So I will always say a random... I mean, like last week I said Ryan and the Master of the Universe. Before that, it was Ryan Noosh, Ryan Noosh are dead three and Knuckles. So I mean, <laughs> Ryan Noosh three oh, Knuckles. Yeah. So I mean, I'm always gonna say a fake name anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. I, I'm I'm one, I'm I'm one of the hosts, Danush Kumar Singha. Today we've got Kentran. Yeah, that's me. And uh, our guest for today is uh, JB Ong. When's gotta, the last time you were on this show, JB? Uh, the last time I was on this show was episode zero, dude. where we didn't know what the hell we were talking oh about. Oh my gosh, dude. Okay, before no, you were in the, wait, you wait, were in we the know psych- now? You were in the psychology one, weren't you? No. No. No, I swear you were. Yeah, you were. You were. Was that was the first yeah, episode I heard, and I was no, like, I want to No, he wasn't. Do- it was wasn't. Courtney and Jessica. No. Oh. He was, oh my, hold on. Let me, even, let me just get back to that in a this second. This timeline went to hell. And uh, our other host, Brendan Kidney. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Dude, this introduction went to hell. <laughs> I you have not been on this show since a year and a yeah, half ago? dude. Yeah, it's it, it was the original pilot episode that JB was on. It was me, Tim Noosh, and Ryan. Yeah. Well, I mean, look really quick. The uh, analogy for today's episode that we're using uh-huh. is if we were Animaniacs characters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, oh my god. So uh, I mean, Ken Trang. If Ken was an Animaniacs character. He would basically be the squid from the Good Feathers of this show. Which one's the squid? Squid is the gray one. He's the he's the most normal one, I guess. He's not he's not Bobby. Bobby's the one who's like the leader. Pesto is like the, the fact asshole. that you remember the Good Feathers. I can't is remember the Good Feathers. Squid is like the most normal dude. He's like nah nah Bobby. I mean nah nah Pesto. I didn't mean it like that. I just mean you're a funny guy. Well, he's that guy. Do you remember? Funny how. I just wanted to be the god pigeon. That thing was the coolest one. He just comes <laughs> oh, in and they just eat his food. With the, the chubby yeah. cheese. Yeah. <laughs> well, basically, basically, it's the Marlon Brando of, Ken, what just happened to you? He just lost his headset for a second. Yeah. <laughs> lost my headset. It just fell off my head. He just couldn't handle. And Brendan. I'm, I'm going to get back to Brendan. JB, okay. if you were an Animaniacs character, you would basically be. By the way, I want you to know this. For every single person on this show, I try to find out what what character would be this. Basically, for example, whenever I'm picking something for Courtney, I okay. always think, okay, who is the smartest of this selection? Sure. For Ryan, it's always who is the funniest of this selection. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, for Brendan, it's always like who is like that zany mascot 
breaking down walls guy, you know? Deadpool, yeah. For for JB, it's always this. Who's most likely to shoot the Reaper AI and have the bad ending? <laughs> like, that's yes. from Mass Effect. Like, that's yeah. basically, and in, in, in Animaniacs, the character who's most likely to do that is the brain. And I yes. kind of feel like JB would be the brain. Are you pondering what I'm pondering? <laughs> yeah, you're going to self-sabotage yourself pretty much. <laughs> I think so, Brain, but why are they so big? <laughs> so I have to lift his forks. No, you fool. <laughs> it's to try and take over the world. If Ryan was a character, I'm just doing for Ryan, it's Yakko, he, easily. He's Yakko. He's, oh, yeah. He's the witty you know, guy. Uh, if I was a character from Animaniacs, I would be wacko, mm-hmm. zany and outrageous and et cetera, et cetera. You just need a British accent. Yeah, and uh, and Brendan, dude, I, I literally picked my favorite character for Brendan, and I feel like this is that character. This is the Kool-Aid man. This is the Slimer you gave of him Animaniacs. Dot. He's Dot, isn't no, he? No, dude. Damn it. Brendan, you would be Chicken Boo. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Chicken Boo. Do you that's, Chicken that's, Boo? that's my favorite character. Dude, I love oh Chicken Boo. The, the only character I like more than Chicken Boo is Slappy Squirrel. Dude, yeah. Chicken Boo is like the random yeah, weird thing. For any of the, the listeners who don't remember Animaniacs, and especially Chicken Boo, who's a very obscure character, he is that giant, like six foot tall chicken dressed in human clothes, trying to, to pretend be a human. To be yeah, human. trying to be a human. Some people are convinced he's a human, but others are not. He's he's a fantastic character. Yeah, <laughs> um, I love that guy. I don't that know. Guy, he was the best. Do you think Chicken Boo is what started the chicken cameos in other cartoons? I do. It had to be because Chicken Boo was the earliest example I can think of of that trope of just like the chicken. Because there's nothing funnier than a chicken trying to pretend to be a person. A chicken is <laughs> it's so dead eyed and it's so <laughs> innocuous. It's yeah. not like any other. It, it is the most. Yeah. 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 It's so okay. Look, I mean, just getting back to the point. Yeah, JB. Yeah, this is your first time on this show since the pilot episode. Mm-hmm. JB was one of the original hosts. For anybody who does not remember that far back, or maybe you've only listened to us recently, he was one of the original hosts, but he dropped out pretty much at the first episode or after, uh, earlier in the first episode. Yeah, it was. And, our, it was um, like a concept episode. Yeah, and so yeah, he hasn't been on the show since then. He's been doing stuff. Well, I mean, why don't you? Just, Tell us a little bit about yourself, JB. Well, it's at that time when we were working on this, it was kind of, it was just a, a after Boba car idea that we just came up with. We were just yeah. like, let's do something. Let's do something amazing. Let's do something out of the box. And yeah. Noosh said that he had access to a radio station. So like, okay, what well, we can do with this. And then we started planning things out. Uh, then that's when we had the Denny's idea. And then Tim and, Tim and I started like trying to structure this thing. And then we we're all putting... Crazy it is, but I, I mean, definitely, I would say in the early stages of this show, I mean, yeah. now it's the history of this show now, it's that there's two <laughs> competing concepts that we mm-hmm. tried to meld, but one of the funny things is, well, basically the two concepts were JB and Tim are very intellectual, and so they were kind of going in that intellectual mm-hmm. direction of having casual conversation that had a lot of uh, Which information. might happen in the show, this session. Yeah, and that's why this, this session might be like that, because it skews towards... In informational yeah. more than anything else. But mm-hmm. me and Ryan were kind of more interested in the comedy aspect. Right. And we tried to meld that together. But what happened was when JB dropped out of the show like a week before the show, mm-hmm. the pilot aired, and then the day of the pilot, Tim's like, I'm not coming. Like Tim was literally, we we mentioned this before, but we were taking a group photo. Mm-hmm. Tim didn't want to be in it. And we're like, Tim, you have to be in it. <laughs> You're on the show. Right. And Tim's like, I don't think I'm going to be coming here every week. <laughs> and we're like, Tim. It was just weird because he doesn't live that far away. 
he works here and this and like he's like 20 minutes away like, yeah he works 20 minutes he away. could just leave work and come here directly so tim dropped out and so after that because the intellectual direction was mm-hmm. you guys were it you yeah. guys dropped out this show had to change it just it just pivoted to this direction of telling funny stories because right. that's what me and ryan mostly wanted to do and so it didn't have we lost something i guess right. in the process well so. and, and it's not for the lack that you and ryan couldn't contribute to that type of dialogue it's just the fact that you guys have a really strong like fun personality yeah and you might as well showcase that in, in terms of just getting people to really listen and you guys have your listener group and they really enjoy you guys' banter yeah um and but ever since then ever since i jumped off i've just been working on my career because i knew that i couldn't work on small projects if i wasn't generating an income yeah. So I had to, <laughs> and so I had to really figure out what yeah. I wanted to do and develop. And then I went to San Francisco for a number of months, uh, try to make something work there, brought, and then brought my experience. And now that I'm back in the area, I'm now dude. I mean, one thing I always appreciate about on. you is just like, I do like that adventurous spirit you have. You you go wherever you can, try something new, mm-hmm. come yeah. back home if it doesn't work out. It's it's good. Yeah, and. Yeah. and Doing stuff like that's not easy. You really need a good um, support group because I, I know some people who do try. Dude, no, to do that, you need a good yeah. skill set. thing is someone like me and Ryan mm-hmm. could never do that because our skill set is so uh, intangibly creative, like mm-hmm. storytelling and writing and that sort of thing, Sure, that you have a actual technical skill set that you can – you know, leverage, and that allows you to do something like that. Right, and it, it's strange because a lot of my skills and tool, and tool set is like amalgamation of design, psychology, and overall, I don't know. It, it's just a, a really strange road that I walked to get to where I'm at. Um, but it's not like any of my experiences are just vain. I try to take any of my experience that I have and incorporate it in some future project. I mean, that's what you and I have always shared. It's yeah. that we just pick up whatever we can on whatever journey we're on, and we're trying to tie it all together into our, oh, our yeah. larger goals in life. Yeah, there, there's no stop to it. It's always going to grow. It's always going to be something. We're always going to do something. And we'll try to bring our friends as much as possible, especially if they have a particular skill set that they've been trained yeah. to have, like they're like a CIA agent. and <laughs> you know. Dude, where's our friends that are like that? Because literally my social circle <laughs> is just all unemployed people right now. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Well, that's just the cover. I mean, no one <laughs> says they're CIA. Yeah, yeah. They have to kill <laughs> you. Could be unemployed and be CIA. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, our cover is not compromised. Damn it. So point. let this be a, a lesson, Noosh. This yeah. is very meta, yeah. where it doesn't matter how many jobs you apply to. Sometimes your friends may have the job you need. Uh, the problem is those jobs aren't paying me anything. <laughs> <laughs> I need. I need. I, they don't pay. Uh, remember that time when we did a conversation where we talked about sex for like 30 minutes and they were like, yeah, today's topic is AI. <laughs> like, like, so random. Whoa, what kind of AI are we discussing? <laughs> there was that movie. So today's topic is adventurers. So the uh, first story I want to tell you guys uh-huh. is about the legend and the story, mm-hmm. the history of Tiger Whitehead. Okay? <laughs> I almost thought he was going to say Tiger Woods. <laughs> I was hoping Tiger Woods. <laughs> This story, so starting out, right, the, the place is Carter County, Tennessee. There's an old gravesite nestled on a hill within a forest. Uh, it's one of those, like, historical gravesites that's no longer used in modern times. You know, the kind that you saw at the end of, like, uh, Gangs of New York where, like, an oh, yeah. old gravesite kind of got forgotten by time? Yep. 
It's one of those. Just to get to this gravesite, you have to climb a mountain, cross a natural bridge that formed over a fast-flowing river. Past the river, there's a clearing in the woods with a tombstone. Um, at that site, so there's a grave, and this grave, this tombstone, is very infamous and popular among the internet generation mm-hmm. because it is the tombstone of this very legendary hunter. And this story became popular on like Tumblr and Reddit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read to you what that tombstone said piece by piece. And I'll show you a picture of it after, but um, I will first read to you piece by piece what it says, okay? So first it says, Here lies the noted hunter, James T. Whitehead, born 1819, died September 25th, 1905. First off, the townsfolk back in 1905 weren't even sure when he was born. They just said (laughs) he's born in 1819. They just made it up? They were really specific about when he died. They knew when he died, but they had no idea when he was born, (laughs) just in 1819. The next part, right below that, on the gravestone, it says, parentheses, it's in parentheses, Killed 99 bears. <laughs> yeah. The 100th one got him. <laughs> dude, dude. For, I, I hope mean, so. It said in parentheses, it had parentheses around it, and it said killed 99 bears. Right. It's like the 100th one got him. Here is a picture, just so, I mean, you can't see it, Brendan, but here's a picture for, oh, I see for Ken. Pretty. Can no. you see it, uh, Ken? Ken, yeah, I have it on yeah. our screen. Yeah, yeah. So we have it. It killed 99 bears. Uh, The next thing that it says is, we hope he has gone to rest. (laughs) The the best part is the townsfolk really hope he's gone to rest. It's almost like a warning where at any moment, Whitehead may rise from his grave to find that last bear. He probably does. (laughs) He's a serial killer. He killed 99 bears. I'm sure someone tried to keep a pet bear. It didn't last long. (laughs) Wait. Are we sure he's not Slender Man and Slender's not just after bears all this time? <laughs> Poor bear. The legend of Slender Bear. <laughs> Don't even. We do not need to birth that onto the internet. Slender Bear? I think we can make it a thing. <laughs> That'd be pretty cute, actually. It, it sounds more cute than it does yeah. frightening. Oh, <laughs> well, let's see if the internet me. It's a the bear on Weight Watchers. will make it frightening. <laughs> so this is the actual life of Tiger Whitehead. Tiger Whitehead was born as James T. Whitehead. The T in his middle name doesn't even stand for Tiger. No one actually is alive who knows what the T stands for. They just Tiberius. Oh, for sure, Tiberius. <laughs> it was not Tiberius. Are you kidding? That's Tiberius no. Whitehead. J- oh, but you know what though? It would be good. J- yeah, James Tiberius Whitehead. That's too perfect. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense, right? Jim, Makes so much sense. Jim, Jim. Tiberius Whitehead. <laughs> What's your name, son? James Tiberius Whitehead. <laughs> I'm just going to call you Jim. <laughs> yeah, right. Jim, it's Damn not it, logical Jim, for doctor, you to hunt all bear. these bears. There's no there's no logic behind that. Jim, stop playing God. <laughs> stop killing those bears. <laughs> Good God, man. Good God, Jim. I'm a doctor, not a bear hunter. <laughs> <laughs> stop killing those bears, Jim. So um. he got the nickname Tiger during one of his hunts in his early years. A tiger escaped from a traveling circus, and the circus commissioned Whitehead to hunt the tiger since he's an expert tracker. Some stories say he killed the tiger, but others say he brought it back alive. But uh, brought it back alive, like he brought it from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, he, he that's a pretty big he dis- shot it, and he brought it back. That's a pretty big discrepancy: Ooh, alive yeah. and dead. It is true. <laughs> right. I mean, right. the, the thing Two is, different- 
back if, if you're not even sure when the man was born literally the townsfolk well you know it was alive or it was dead we don't know I mean, yeah, it was alive or dead. So that it would be one of those two. So they know the bears were dead. But yeah, they the know the tiger. Bear. No one was quite sure. Maybe it's because the the people of Appalachia knew bear physiology, but they didn't really know tigers that well. They're not common. What What if he's an, actually an, an animagus and he actually turns into a tiger and kills all those bears? Oh, I think that's what if the T actually stood for tiger. Well, that's the that's the assumption people make. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking that they just didn't have enough room to kill 99 bears and kill one tiger. <laughs> That'd I be think hilarious. He was the tiger. That'd be so hilarious. <laughs> you gotta run and he killed one eventually. tiger. Just one. Just one. Yeah, right. Tigers are rare they here. Put the tiger on the on the tombstone. That is kind of very a rare thing. So wait. Yeah. So, so tiger is separate from the T. No, his, they, they don't know what. His Nobody name knows is. what T means. It's yeah. Tiberius or tiger they just or. It was tiger, but it's not. I mean, people even said, "Oh, the T stands for tiger," but it really didn't. He got the nickname because he killed the tiger. Or what's the, tiger. what's the what's the funniest T name you could think of? That's probably it. Tiberius. That's not funny. Tammy. <laughs> that sounds aggressive. Killed Tammy. Tammy. James. Tammy. <laughs> Tammy White. Whitehead. It's a possibility. <laughs> Tammy was a popular name at, at that time. He could have been yeah, tiny. Yeah. He could have been tiny. So killed ninety nine bears. Tiny. Half a tiger. Tiny Whitehead. Dude, dude. Tiny Whitehead is the best name tiny ever. Tiny Whitehead's a great name. James Tiny for Whitehead. A notable bear hunter. <laughs> for yeah. A, for an old man who hunts. Sounds bears. more like a mobster. <laughs> he well, might have been. Your name was tiny, tiny Whitehead. He was a, he was a mobster to the bears for sure. Bears. The bears feared him. Mm-hmm. They they feared and respected him. Yeah, he was a serial killer. <laughs> well, I mean, he's confirmed. Even though they don't know about the tiger, he is definitely confirmed to have killed 99 bears. So they know that for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, he's famous, but here's the thing. He's not as well-known as frontiersmen like Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett. Those sure. guys are contemporaries for him. Mm-hmm. But he's not as famous as them because those guys traveled around you know, the country. Right, they're he's, explorers. He stayed in Tennessee. He explored Tennessee, but not the greater country. Is there any like notable landmarks? In yes, Tennessee? there is. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'll get to that later. But okay. yeah, there's definitely landmarks that were named for him. Uh, once, okay. a black bear almost killed him. He shot at it, but it was only wounded, so it charged him. The bear stopped short and roared to intimidate him. And what he did was he shoved the barrel of his rifle into the bear's mouth, and then he stabbed it in the neck. <laughs> While it was startled. So he basically shoved it in his mouth to, like, stun it like the bear was surprised. And then he took out his knife and stabbed it in the neck. Um, the rifle had the bear's teeth marks for the rest of his career. And uh, the, the rifle was given the name. And by the way, this is not one of those things where it's like the, the rifle got the name, you know, like like Bear's Bane or something like that, <laughs> you know? Or it, it, it got this the name. The Enchanted Rifled Bear's yeah. Bane. Or like, like, uh, uh, Ursa, Ursa Slayer or something. I don't, I don't know. No, the name it was given is Ticklicker. That's uh, the worst. It is. Oh, my. Jesus. That's what the T is for. James Ticklicker. Why is it Ticklicker? I don't know. No, I mean, I, I it must be. It must be information. 19th yeah. century slang. Dude, I'm telling you, that gun needed to be called Bear's Bane. <laughs> if ever there was a gun that needed to be called Bear's Bane, it's, it's that, that gun. Yeah. I mean, you literally had the teeth marks of a bear on the gun. We could probably petition to be made into Destiny 2. Dude, we should. It's Dude, it's why something? shouldn't they? Because they have yeah. Bear's Bane. I mean, I mean, it, it writes, it writes itself. <laughs> where basically, wait a minute, wait a minute, killed ninety nine bears. That's the quote. <laughs> the next part of the story is the death of Tiger Whitehead. I just went very quickly from the life to the death. So he, as he approached the end of his life, his health began to fade. He became bedridden and could no longer participate in hunts. 
His friends wanted him to get that hundredth kill. So they caught a bear cub and brought it to his house so he can kill it. <laughs> While he's laying in bed, like sick, they're like, you know, hey, Jim, here is a bear. Shoot it, and that's your hundredth bear. He thanked them for the kind gesture but asked them to release the bear cub because it was not sporting to kill an animal that didn't have a fair chance to escape or fight back. And the thing is, at the time, that was a really notable thing to do, this concept of sportsmanship to an animal, mm-hmm. because this was like almost like 50 to 100 years before Teddy Roosevelt. You know, So right. this is before the time when the idea of sportsmanship towards animals was a thing that existed. Mm-hmm. So he had a chance, dude, to get that, ni- that 100th bear, but he let it go because it wasn't a fair fight. Uh, he died of natural causes not long after the Bear Cup story. He was 85 years old. There's two landmarks in Carter County named after him, Tiger Valley and Tiger Creek. Okay. Interestingly enough, he, his wife is buried next to him. Her name's Sally Whitehead. Sally would care for orphaned animals or mm-hmm. wounded animals. And specifically, she did raise a fawn and two bear cubs. And I thought that was really ironic because most likely that bear was orphaned because of her husband. Yeah. Like her husband's <laughs> killing yeah. these bears. And she's raising the cubs. That that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Here's the legacy of Tiger Whitehead. Johnny Cash was driving through Tennessee for a concert in Jonesboro. Mm-hmm. A friend took him to the cemetery and told him the story of Tiger Whitehead. Cash was so impressed, he wrote a song called Ballad of Tiger Whitehead. Mm-hmm. And right. for decades after his death, whenever someone in Tennessee hears a random gunshot in the woods, they would say, sounds like old Tiger got his hundredth bear. <laughs> the bear that he let go. <laughs> Apparently he's still alive. I expect they're still in the woods. That's what I'm saying, man. Right. And the last thing I want to read to you guys is the internet posts about him because that's what I that's when I became aware of the story. The internet does love this tombstone. We'll post a picture of it on our website later. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's three posts that I really love. The first one said, My favorite part is, we hope he has gone to rest. What? Like they weren't sure? Maybe if the bear uprising should start again, he would rise from the ground to finish what he started and slay that hundredth bear? Was this man so powerful that they're concerned he might not have decided to rest at all and he's simply biding his time? <laughs> uh, so this this is from the doctrine proposed by the, the, the bear society. <laughs> Speaking of which, the next post about him said, <laughs> this is my favorite, it said, the bears made that tombstone a warning and a prayer <laughs> <laughs> that he really, truly stays down. I mean, this is this is a tombstone that you have to go into the mountains to right. find, right? Yeah, dude. So this is the a bears sign. made that tombstone. He, ca- we hope he's gone to rest. <laughs> and since that tombstone, no bears have approached that mountaintop. Uh, the last post about this one said. I had 99 problems, and they were all bare, so I fucking killed them all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Moving on, because this is our next story. This is the longer story. So I and I I hope this is the one that Brendan will appreciate and have a lot to say about because this is a very Canadian story. Brendan's boner could not get any bigger about Canada. Just tell us all about it. Here's a story of Joseph Whitehead Boyle, also known as Klondike Joe. 
Early life. Born November 16, 1867. He was born in Toronto, Ontario to Charles and Martha Boyle. Uh, but when he was five years old, he moved to Woodstock, Ontario, uh, which was 1872. That's when he moved to Woodstock. Mm-hmm. See, he, remember, I'm from Ontario, so yeah, of course this, I would have had this, to have heard of this. This is a local hero for Brendan, yeah. So when he was 17 years old, he joined his father on a business trip to New York City. When his father was at a meeting... He just wandered around the city, and eventually he found himself at the New York City docks. There, he befriended an old ship captain. The captain liked him and offered him a position as a deckhand on his ship called the Wayless. Joe immediately accepted the opportunity. He had one of the dock workers send a message to his father who was at that meeting, (laughs) and the message said this. I've gone to sea. Please don't worry about me. Signed, Joe. <laughs> wow. That's it. Dude, he basically sent the equivalent of a text message to his father. <laughs> just said, I've gone to sea. Don't worry about me. And that's it. He remained at sea for three years, dude. Jeez. He didn't contact his family for Going three to Mexico, years. not coming back. Dude, wow. He dis- Spring break. <laughs> he disappeared for three years after that. During his three years at sea, he once fought a shark. <laughs> By the way, and here's the thing. At this point, with these epic adventures from back in the 1800s, I'm not even impressed anymore. I feel like all of them have fought sharks. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is I'm not as impressed as I used to be about fighting sharks. But he did fight a shark. Uh, one of his shipmates fell into the ocean mm-hmm. and was being mauled by a shark. He straight up dove in, knife in his mouth, that sort of thing, dove in and stabbed the shark until it let go. And the sh- shark, I mean, he didn't kill it, but he fought off the shark and saved his friend. That's actually pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, you that, talk about that it. sounds like uh, one of the characters in the what cartoon? The uh, what cartoon? Like Race Bannon type thing. Oh no! But they've had got that concept Race from Bannon. somewhere. Adventure Brothers. R- yeah. Race Bannon. I, I remember the episode. Race Bannon fought a shark. He didn't do what Klondike <laughs> Joe did. Race Bannon saw Johnny swimming towards the boat. He gets a rifle and he caps the shark. <laughs> Klondike Joe dove in in. and fought. He shanked a shark with a knife, dude. Yeah, but you've seen that before, right? Like you've seen that graphic of that guy have a freaking knife in his in his mouth. The only thing that would make that entire scene better is if they went full Venture Bros and he had the knife in his mouth, but he was also wearing just like his underwear or a speedo. Uh, Like that's when he dove in and fought the shark. Dude, what is the dude's name Brock from Venture Bros? Brock Samson. That's there we Brock go. Samson. one of my favorite yeah, characters. Yeah, <laughs> that's the Brock Samson. That's what I was looking up. I was like, oh, yeah. He's a Canadian Brock Samson. Yeah. He is. Dude, that's a good example. He's the Canadian Brock Samson, man. Oh, um, Brock Samson. At Canadian. one point, the Wayless was ordered to return to Nova Scotia, so he signed on with another ship which sailed the Atlantic. At one point, that second ship got caught in a storm and shipwrecked off the coast of Cork, Ireland. And because he was stranded in Cork, Ireland... He worked as a tour guide until he could afford the passage back to North America. <laughs> so, dude, dude. Wait, where was he working as a tour guide? In Cork, Ireland. In Ireland. A small town called Cork. Dude, he's not even a native. How do you even know where the stuff is? You got to start somewhere. <laughs> um, see that building right there? That's the first house I went to when I shipped. I can only imagine nobody in Cork, Ireland wanted to be the tour guide. <laughs> they were just like, I mean, they really didn't believe in the tourist opportunities in court who was going there that part of ireland <laughs> well maybe he killed the original tour guide with a shark shanker it's just like yeah, i'll take over dude maybe cork ireland hired this guy because they're like yeah now cork ireland has fought a shark <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I'm not sure about the tour. How safe is it? Dude, Our that's, tour that, guys that's like me. Shots. That's like me flying to Russia and like the plane just. I like. I get stranded in Russia and I start being a tour guide. He raised enough funds to. By the way, you know what? I can only imagine. Let's say whoever did survive that shipwreck, those guys just married into Ireland, and this guy's like, "Nah, my destiny's in North America." <laughs> I'm going. I don't want to be Irish. <laughs> Ooh, I don't so, want to live in Ireland. Eventually, beautiful once he redheaded ha- girls and all the beer I need. <laughs> I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, actually, when you hear the rest of the story, that dude, this guy clearly was—he was the type. I, I would describe him as being sort of like. I don't know about calling him like a Elon Musk type person, sure. but he is the kind of person that sounds very restless. He's the kind of person who's driven. He doesn't know what he's driven towards, but he's driven towards something. I can see mm-hmm. him. He doesn't not like being, to settle down. Yeah, I don't think he'd be, he'd be satisfied in a small town. I can see that guy, because you know? when, you're, when you're on the seas, you don't know what's going to happen yeah. next. So you just mm-hmm. take things in stride. I mean, dude, he literally just was like he peaced out on his dad <laughs> during a business trip. That's I'm out, dad. Yeah. Bye. Um, so anyway, he he eventually <laughs> he eventually returned to New York City again. Okay, upon landing at the harbor, he met a beautiful divorcee. Three days later, he proposed to her, and they were married. Oh come on! <laughs> this is not this guy what is I ballsy. Expected. Yeah, that's his biggest well, accomplishment. Marrying her after three days. Here's the thing about going to sea. He doesn't. He doesn't like domestic life. He doesn't like to settle down. But when he settles down, he settles down hard. <laughs> He's like three days later. We're married now. I don't like to settle down. I'm just gonna get and married. Dude, you know that she's a divorcee. She's just like, I'll take what I can get. She's uh-huh. like, all right, uh-huh. let's do this. Yeah. I ain't getting any younger. Divorcee. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I mean, she's like, the, the property value ain't going up. <laughs> I, I didn't. Uh, yeah. Oh, sh- that's weird. So he settled in domestic life. He had seven children with her. Jeez. <laughs> Four of which survived. Whoa. Hard times, man. So during this time in New York City, after he got married and had kids, sure. he managed a boxing club <laughs> full of up-and-coming boxers. Where he trained Rocky Balboa. He opened an animal feed business and All the boxers business. go like this? By the way, dude, seriously, boxing back then, dude, was a totally different game. The regulations were different. Like, barbed wire. <laughs> Listen, I'm assuming it was allowed. Like, the way they fought was like... Dude, I, I hear It was thing. like Mike Tyson's punch-out. <laughs> I mean, just watch movies like Gangs of New York and just understand that boxing was like a hard man's game back then. Right, because the padding wasn't even sufficient. People would not. be putting metal yeah. stuff in there. Yeah, you, dude, just, it was, you just kill people. That's, that's, yeah. that's the point. It was a brutal sport back then, dude. Anyway, he, yeah, he, he had a boxing club that he managed, and later he started traveling on the road to promote an Australian heavyweight boxer named Frank Slavin. Okay. So he, I mean, he was, dude, he peaced out on his family to go on the road to promote this Australian boxer. Um, Did he at least send them a letter? <laughs> his marriage, I mean, I don't think so, only because he, his marriage became rocky due to the time he was always away from his family. So they didn't even deserve a text at that point. He was just gone. Wow. Well, Dear wife, I'm outie. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> so just deleted the Facebook and was gone. <laughs> The next part of the story is the gold rush. So gold was discovered in Canada in 1896. Wow. So 
Joe took his two eldest children, Joseph Jr. and Flora, with him to Canada, and he brought Frank Slavin with him, and their plan was to strike it rich in the gold fields of Klondike. They organized some boxing matches between Frank and the local boxers to finance the trip to Klondike. Oh. However, it didn't work out. They oh. didn't raise enough funds. So since they couldn't travel, uh, afford a safe travel route to Dawson City uh, in Klondike, uh, and by the way, just for anybody who doesn't know, Dawson City, dude, is a very famous place. I mean, this was... After mm-hmm. the California gold rush, Dawson City was it. Like, Canada was the hot spot for the gold, uh, mm. you know, the people who moved from America to right. Canada to find gold. There have been sto- many stories about the adventurers who've gone to Klondike, uh, particularly Dawson City. Okay. I'm not even joking when I say Scrooge McDuck went to Dawson City. <laughs> Part <laughs> of the, the life and times of Disney's, you know, Carl Barks, Scrooge McDuck, is that he went to Dawson City. <laughs> I gotta look this up. Anybody who knows me knows that I've read the actual graphic novel of the life and times of Scrooge McDuck. It is one of the most beautiful stories I've ever read. It is. Oh, I see it. It is a beautiful story. Can I borrow that comic book, please? <laughs> I would love to share with you. Yeah, dude. Anyway, so Dawson City is a famous place. It was the Wild West in Canada at that point in history. So... In order to get to Dawson City, they traveled with a group of amateur miners across unexplored territory along what was called the White Pass Route. Uh, It was a very dangerous trip, unexplored, uh, but eventually this group did make it to Dawson City. Mm -hmm. At Dawson City, they signed up as laborers for a gold claim for a very famous... um, um, I don't know what to call these people. I guess you could say a claim owner, I guess. Sure, yeah, yeah. Called uh, Swiftwater Bill Gates. I have to say Swiftwater because otherwise you get the wrong idea. But you know what, though? In in the history and the tradition of any Bill Gates, yeah, he, he owned a lot of shit. <laughs> he on. was that guy. Or, wait, is he named Bill Gates or are you using a, a No, his example? name is Swiftwater Bill Gates. What the f- I mean, his name is Bill Gates, but they called him Swiftwater Bill I love Bill. how everybody back then had, like, a nickname. But here's the thing. Joe thought that hand panning, which is what they did, for gold was too slow. He wanted to use dredging machines. Dredging is a giant machine that basically just scoops up the entire riverbed Mm -hmm. to find gold instead of panning for hand. They use that now. Yeah. So, but most most, uh, claims and most companies that had claims back then, they used hand panning. Mm. So he quit. And he journeyed further north to find unclaimed stretches of the Klondike River Valley. Joe found a, a claim like a stretch of land that was not claimed yet. Sure. And uh, he traveled, so Frank registered the claim. Joe traveled to Ottawa to get the dredging equipment he needed. Mm -hmm. After buying the equipment in Ottawa, uh, he tried to take a boat to meet with the Canadian Minister of the Interior uh, in order to get the, um, I guess you could say the licenses or like the permission Mm -hmm. to use that dredging equipment. Yeah. Uh, However, the ice flows at that point in the season, stopped him from taking a boat. So he started the long journey on foot. Basically, this dude just started traveling by foot. Apparently, the distance is between Ottawa and Seattle. That's the oh distance he traveled. Which, Brendan, if I'm not if I'm not like mistaken, isn't that like half the distance across the U.S.? Yeah. Yeah, the distance between Ottawa and Canada, or between Ottawa and Seattle. Mm. Did you say on yeah. foot? On, on foot. foot. So he he traveled on that foot. distance. On foot, along the way, he rescued some stranded travelers. Together, he led them through forests, snowy plains, mountains, and he led them like a chain gang. He forced men to keep walking 
Otherwise, they're going to die. You know what I mean? They're going to freeze. They're always on the brink of death. Why the heck he, are we playing, like, or- Oregon Trail? We should be playing this guy's game. <laughs> actually, you know what, Noosh? I think it crosses the entire diameter of, of the U.S.? the main part of the U.S. Dang. Oh, yeah, my dude. gosh. That's the distance. How many yeah, miles dude. is that? Could you? Oh, yeah, dude. That's from, like, New York, basically, to Seattle. That's the, I mean, it's mm. the American distance. It's 4,000 kilometers. To... Yep. Yeah, dude, that is far. 2,000-something miles. Yeah, so he traveled that far on foot across the entire U.S. How long basically. did it take him, did it say? Uh, it did not specify how long it took him, dude. But I, I, and actually, it took him essentially the entire, like, summer. Let's Jeez. say that because that's how – because the, the next part of the story takes place in the fall. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it basically took him the entire summer to get there. So once he arrived uh, in the southern part of Canada that's near Seattle – uh, Joe convinced the Minister of the Interior to give him the permits he needed to use the dredging equipment. Um, he wound up creating something. Uh, he, I mean, this is his own creation called the Dreadnought Dredge, which was a massive dredge machine. Uh, it's, it's the most massive dredge machine in the world, which is able to drag 11,000 cubic meters of riverbed. It's so, a lot. So nature wouldn't say no to him because he's he gonna he, plow through he it basically destroyed rivers dude <laughs> like he he just was like we're gonna stop this like he, he he made a portable dam <laughs> i mean that's essentially what he made dude uh, a, a dam that just ripped apart yeah. the riverbed yeah like this is like yeah. nature's death star basically dude, you, <laughs> dude nature's death star dude you kill 99 bears i freaking destroy rivers i destroy yeah, rivers yeah i killed 99 rivers okay <laughs> this guy's like i don't even know what i killed i killed <laughs> so many things. i just killed things. I killed thousands, thousands of salmon <laughs> some turtles i don't yeah. know oh my god 99 bears yeah so, okay, now we're moving on to, this is the 1900s uh, in the Yukon. So he's returned back okay. to the Klondike area, mm-hmm. okay? He found that the River Valley area was just full of so many miners. Like, but when he left, it was a growing community. Mm-hmm. When he came back after everything he did, Dawson mm-hmm. City blew up. So he opened a lumber mill to sell material to build log cabins. He used those profits to open a large supervisory building to manage his claim on the Klondike River Valley. So he basically started a company at that point. So basically, he's an early entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's very he's very much doing the Leland Stanford, yeah. you know, Hearst sort of thing. He right? saw a, a situation. He saw opportunity. Yeah. By the way, I love talking about this part of the story, if only because it gets crazy later like this is wait, wait, wait. Crazy, crazy already crazy no what i'm setting up now is so far away from what it gets to eventually <laughs> dude it's crazy so dude okay so uh to avoid boredom in, amidst all of this living in a very secluded area remember dawson city area is very close to alaska it's so far away from the rest of canadian civilization mm-hmm. so to avoid boredom he did the following uh, he rode as a horse jockey in the uh, Dawson City horse track. Right. He did some amateur boxing, as all hard men do at that time. <laughs> Basically, if you're a hard man in the 1800s and early 1900s, you box. This is what you do. You know, of course you rode a horse. Of course you boxed. You know, <laughs> this is probably why Sherlock Holmes does bare, bare knuckle boxing. Yeah, yeah. You, you did baritsu and solved crimes. Yeah. That's that's kind of the thing to do. And of course, he banged a lot of women. Many women. <laughs> Thank you. In Dawson City. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Many of the few women in Dawson City, because it is a very 
pocket community, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they all wanted Joe. One, because he was a hard man. He was a handsome man. <laughs> you can say that again. But two, <laughs> because he is the wealthiest man in Klondike. They actually gave him the title the King of Klondike because he, he was just a very wealthy man who owned a lot of property there. Wow. This is sounding like a beer commercial. <laughs> nah, man. Okay. This is like advertisement for a Klondike Look, bar. Look, this, this next part, I hope Brendan gets a kick <laughs> out of this. This is what he'd do. What, what, yeah, what would you do for a Klondike bar? bar? <laughs> would you sleep with him? Right. <laughs> Dude, of he course. Was the Klondike the, bar. The Klondike bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally, the next part of the story takes place in 1905, and the subtitle is just Hockey. <laughs> It's just yeah, hockey. It's, hockey. This it's is literally, the joke I know parts of. So that year in 1905 was a big Stanley Cup tournament. Dude, the Stanley Cup is old, dude. It's like over 100 years old. So here's what you need to know about the Stanley Cup back then, mm-hmm. dude. Before 1924, any team could challenge the current champions of the Stanley Cup to a title match. Now consider that for a moment. There is no build-up tournament. It literally is any team in Canada could challenge the current holders of the Stanley Cup to a title match. The match itself had to be a best-of-three games type scenario, but it literally meant any local beer pub team, <laughs> like, any local, like, group, like, like, dude, like, ten guys could be like, let's form a team and go for the Stanley Cup. <laughs> like, dude, the stand like... Honestly, I love that setup because dude, that's way co- better than today. That it, that you don't need that to have like so a license, fully funded team. It's just like, hey boys, you want to go take on the team in Ottawa? <laughs> Hell yeah! Yeah, six fat guys in this pub. Let's go, man. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, dude, literally, Joe started a team in Dawson called the Dawson Nuggets. And, I mean, this team, dude, was made up of laborers, civil servants, miners, town drunks. So really hardy guys. He got a ragtag crew of the (laughs) hardest men he knew, and he made a hockey team. And he taught them how to box at the same time. And, dude, he made a Canadian hockey team in the middle of the Canadian wilderness, wild west town, dude. So. The hardest team we have ever put on the ice. (laughs) So he got the Dawson Nuggets, and he challenged the current Stanley Cup champions, the Ottawa Silver 7. And the thing about the Ottawa Silver 7, dude, is they were known as, like, the invincible champions because for, like, years, no team could ever beat them, both in, like, title matches but Mm -hmm. even in, like, just regular matches – um, within just like the local leagues and things like that, like mm-hmm. nobody could beat this team. They were unbeaten. Oh, I see. But the thing is this: in order to get to Ottawa, in order to take part in this title match, they had to get there. And Dawson City was four thousand miles away from Ottawa. Again, <sighs> the same distance as crossing the U.S. Wow. That was a lot more walking and rescuing random people and beating (laughs) them up. And, dude, this time, I mean, even the first time he went from Ottawa to, like, the Seattle area, like that part of, uh, you know, Canada, that direction, at least that was through civilization. There were were towns. There was places Mm -hmm. that he can stop off at, et cetera. This was straight up through the hardest wilderness Canada had to offer, dude. Tundras, forests, mountains. So uh, he financed the entire trip, um, and it cost $6,000 for him to get the entire team down there. That is a lot of money back then. Yeah, dude, back then, that was a lot of money. The trip took 23 days and involved walking, dog sleds, bicycles, 
coastal steamers <laughs> and trains. Wow. Dude. So this is the team that just pulls up and they're like, now all we got to do is play hockey. Yeah. Now, to get here. now all we got to do is play hockey against the greatest hockey team Canada has ever known Jeez. at that time. Dude, it took Until them, they pulled up. It took them, tw- dude, it took them like, like three fourths of a month of pure traveling to get there, dude. Wow. The thing. Frodo's and, journey is nothing. <laughs> At this point, I know. <laughs> and along the way, they dealt with seasickness, hypothermia, blizzards, all. And dude, think how epic this is! All for the chance to take on the greatest Canadian hockey team. You know, at that I know time. I use this joke a lot, <laughs> but again, I want to see this movie. <laughs> that would be an amazing movie. Oh, uh, for anyone that doesn't know that that team is like the equivalent of the old Ottawa Senators, so. Like the first incarnation of this NHL hockey team. Okay, okay. So that's like us playing against uh, like a like a like the LA Kings or something. I mean, yeah. I mean dude, it's, it's basically like a bunch of lumberjacks in like Oregon. We're like, all right, let's go take on the New York Knicks. You know, <laughs> like that's not even like the New York Knicks. That's like the Golden State Warriors because they're yeah. champions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not taking a, against true. the worst team in the league. You're taking a champion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why did they want it? Well, because that's how that's how Canada rolled back then, dude. Like, like, dude, anybody could – I challenge anybody to take the Stanley Cup from us. That would, Dude, that's how hard the Stanley Cup champions were. It's the days. old hardcore title yeah. in the WWF, man. Yeah, dude. Just anytime, anywhere. Dude, I love that. I cannot – I cannot – talk about how much i love that setup back then oh my gosh i want anybody that. can challenge the stanley cup champions dude, mm-hmm. dude that's like afro samurai dude it's like <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, like I, afro don't, samurai. I don't remember what it was but i remember in afro samurai it was that one thing where like like there's like a great samurai warrior but the whole idea was afro samurai guy he had the second like the the, the bandana and that was number like two the number two headband and yeah. everybody challenged him for the number two headband so they can fight the number yeah. one guy dude this yeah, was like the only person who could yeah. challenge the number yeah. one was the number two right dude that was like that's how hardcore this was okay look so once they arrived here's the problem they were out of practice and they were exhausted dude they haven't practiced for almost a month and they were right. exhausted from the journey probably wouldn't have helped anyway yeah so ottawa beat so again, it's best best of three. So Ottawa beat the Dawson team first by nine to two, right? No, that's 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 not bad. <laughs> but then they in the second match they beat them twenty three to two. <laughs> dude, twenty three to two in a hockey match, dude. Dude, I want you to consider this. Fourteen of the goals were sc- fourteen of the Ottawa goals were scored by the half blind Frank McGee. <laughs> <laughs> the half-blind Frank McGee. To this day, those 14 goals are the highest number of goals scored by a player in a Stanley Cup series. Jeez. And, dude, the 23-2 to loss is the worst defeat in Stanley Cup history, dude. <laughs> that is amazing. Dude. So whoa, 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 he was blind in one eye. He was blind in one so eye. So he was one eye McGee. Well, so I said half-blind, half half-blind. Yeah. Frank McGee, Cyclops McGee, <laughs> Cyclops no perception, but he can sink the puck. But like dude, apparently throw. Frank McGee had his own hard ass story. He was a hard man, dude. Oh god. So okay, here's the thing. Here's the cool part. Uh, <laughs> many of the Dawson team members mm. were also ejected from the tournament for fighting too much. <laughs> like like back then, especially fighting was accepted even more so than now in sure. hockey. 
But dude, they fought so much <laughs> that like the officials were like, "Listen, get out! Like you're you're out." This is a this is a hockey match, not a freaking I mean, brawl. The team lead is a boxing guy. Yeah, it's true. It's, it kind of comes with the Your territory. sponsors of his. You have town drunks on the team. Like, what do you expect? You guys ever watch Goon? It's like that. Yeah. <laughs> Just bring a guy in you to punch people. The whole team. So, the papers called the Dawson, the Ottawa papers called the Dawson Nuggets the worst consignment of hockey junk <laughs> to come over the medals of the Canada Canada Pacific Railroad. Whoa, they just score like how many goals? Like four goals right. over two games. That's pretty good against the champs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But they also but, gave up like thirty. But they basically they saw them as like the worst riffraffs to ever challenge I the Stanley so. Cup champs. <laughs> Dude, for all we know, though, half the reason they changed then was really hard because the goalie pads were tiny. Yeah. Oh, the goalies God. had no masks. That's true. Yet. Yeah, that's I true. Basically, come around for like another fifty years or you, so. You had to replace a goalie for like every like match because of how messed up they get i'm assuming half the reason they changed the rules of the stanley cup in 1924 was they just got tired this is right. these town drunks <laughs> they got ran, they got ran, they ran out of players because the drugs those, kept punching them out the night after the tournament the, the the ottawa team invited the dawson team to go drinking with them mm-hmm. so they all proceeded to go bar hopping and get wasted and then they nearly all got arrested for trying to drop kick the stanley cup across <laughs> The Radau Canal in downtown Ottawa, dude. They tried to drop kick the Stanley Cup across the canal. What? That's amazing. Now, how, now the, the the cup nowadays weighs like thirty pounds. How old? How how much did the cup weigh back then? Man, how much yeah. do you have to drink to drop kick a tin <laughs> cup? Um, the next part of the story. We're jumping from don't tell 1905 me. hockey to 1914 World War One. Okay, yeah. he flew planes in World War One too. Oh my God, you don't even know what he did, <laughs> dude. Dude, everything I did, I mean, everything I told you about so far is epic. But like, like I said, dude, we start here in like one side, like and one, like like we start here and then we move to the right like a million miles because he does some crazy stuff. Wow. He, goes, so, he goes back to Ireland to save the Irish from the British. So he, he should be the, the advertisement for the Destiny game. He's I like, know. He, he is legend, basically. Yeah. He is Uncharted. Yeah. Mr. Uncharted. So, He's way better. Part. Okay. <laughs> when Joe was 47 years old, that's that's how old he was when 1914 and, and World War One started. Uh-huh. He's too old to volunteer for the Canadian military, right? They wouldn't let him join. So what he did is he financed with his own money a 50-man machine gun unit. <laughs> Yeah, he straight up funded his own 50-man machine gun unit outfitted with uniforms, supplies, and weapons. So he basically said, okay, I've got my own military unit. He went to the Canadian government, and he's like, put us to work. He's like, you won't let me join your military? Fine, I made my own. Put us to work. (laughs) His unit became highly decorated, and Joe was made an honorary lieutenant general in the Canadian military. Eventually, the American Committee of Engineers gave Joe an assignment. They asked him to go to Russia and assist with the transportation issues the Russians were having at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, just so you know, the Russians had a notoriously terrible railway system. I mean, the configuration of their railways was so out of sync with the rest of Europe. And also, like, their, the, the way that the railways and the trains were organized at the time, mm-hmm. 
that they couldn't move their trains. Everything was stuck. Um, there's this thing called the Moscow Knot, which was 10,000 rail cars that were piled up near Moscow, and they couldn't move them because all the trains were so congested together, they couldn't move things backward to get things out of the way. Like Everything was just jammed oh. there. And that that was a big problem that stopped getting supplies to the front lines. But even outside of that, even the countryside, the, the rail system was so poor that they could not get supplies to the front lines. Oh, wow. So the American Committee of Engineers sent him out there to fix the Russian railway system. Mm-hmm. Um, he started in Moscow, where he started to open up railways leading to the front lines, and he continued to move in a westward direction, fixing the railways along the way. And he had a crew to do this, but he was in charge of this crew that's basically just fixing the railways all the way from Moscow to going towards Germany. What the hell? That's all really long distance. It is. Yeah, Let's dude. look at that distance. So, <laughs> Very far. Uh, 2,000 okay. kilometers. Half the distance of the U.S. Right. Yeah. So that's how far he was going to fix the railway system, right? Yeah. Along the way, he got to a city called Tarnopol. Tarnopol was a railway hub in Russia. Mm-hmm. As he Literally, as his crew is arriving in Tarnopol, fixing the railway system along the way, mm-hmm. the Germans were invading Tarnopol. None of the Russian officers in Tarnopol were doing a good job to prevent the invasion. So he took command of the German of the Russian military in Tarnopol. Uh-huh. He fortified the defenses and successfully repelled the invasion, the German invasion of Tarnopol. Because of what he did, he was ordered the Order of Saint Stanislaus by the Tsar of Russia himself. Dude, you know what the you know what the Order of Saint Stanislaus is? No. That's Russian knighthood, dude. He's like, a Russian that knight. is that is I mean literally it is being knighted at, in Russia. He he became a Russian knight uh, in order Did he add to his uniform? Did he start wearing <laughs> armor? So. Dude, it's an order that dates back hundreds of years. Dude, he became a Russian knight straight oh, up. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was so, yeah, okay, that's insane. So he's yeah. a, so he's a Canadian I mean, guy. I mean, specifically because it's because the Russians recognized like like holy shit, dude! This guy not only fixed the railway systems, but he just saved our railway hub from a German invasion. Um, so, what happened next is this, though, right? At around this time in 1917, that's when the Bolshevik communists took over the Russian government, right? Oh wow! So just after he was made a knight, that's when the Russian Civil War happened and the Bolsheviks took over. But here's the thing, dude: you uh-huh. would think. The Bolsheviks, because the Bolsheviks, you have to remember, kicked out a lot of Westerners. Right. And and they really tried to isolate Russia into being just Russian-controlled as mm-hmm. opposed to uh, Western influence. But, dude, the Bolsheviks kept Joe because they liked him. <laughs> <laughs> like, the commies liked Joe. Everybody liked He's Joe. the favorite. Yeah, because they knew they had a good thing with somebody like him. Like, he was effective at what he did. And they promoted him to railway commissar. A railway commissar. Dude, that's that's basic- like a position where I want to, yeah. I want to be commissar one day. I mean, it's Amazing. basically like being made like I, I mean here it's like being like Lord Commander of the Railways yeah. in like communist Russia. That's what it was. Basically, Lord Commander of the Railways. Except they don't use Lord because the Bolsheviks hate titles like that. <laughs> but that's basically what it was. He was like the comrade of the rails. How is there not a Netflix series about this guy? <laughs> there could be, and we're just not seeing. Come on. Next part of the story is the Moscow knot. So next like I said, nobody in years has been able to fix that 10,000-car pileup in Moscow. So the Bolsheviks asked him to fix the, the Moscow knot and get those 10,000 railway cars full of supplies to the front lines in Germany. He got his workers to fix the tracks and move all the rail cars within three days. 
if the railway cars were too damaged or stuck on snow embankments, he straight up had his guys knock over the rail cars and drag them down the side of mountains, dude. Like he did how, whatever. How many guys? <laughs> this is a rail car, right? He did whatever he had to. He he used he loaded some of these railway cars on boats to cross rivers if the railways were too damaged to get across. Um, sections of the the Russian countryside. Oh, in three days, he got all ten thousand cars to the front lines. This guy's a hero. <laughs> Apparently, He's my hero. Because three hundred thousand. Because of him, three hundred thousand Russian troops had supplies to keep fighting. Lenin himself personally thanked Joe for his work. <laughs> Dude, Lenin. Now, by the way, I told you the previous part of the story is called the Moscow Knot. Yeah. The next part of the story is called the Moscow Heist. Dude, yes. What? What we just hells? we just went from Canadian frontiersman gold miner to hero military hero of Russia to the the Moscow heist. You forgot failed hockey coach. Failed, failed, failed hockey, hockey coach. coach. So, dude, okay, December of 1917, the Bolsheviks tasked Joe with getting supplies to their shaky ally in Romania, right? Or their shaky ally, which was Romania. Right. The relations between Romania and Russia were deteriorating. And the reason why is because Russia was holding the Romanian crown jewels, their gold, their paper currency, and their archival records in the Kremlin. Mm -hmm. The reason was, quote, unquote, for safekeeping during the war. But the Romanians knew, no, you're holding us hostage. That way we don't fight on the side of Germany. And the, the relationship was deteriorating. Now, here's one thing you need to know. During his work acting as an, as an inter- intermediary between the Romanians and the Russians, uh, Joe met Captain Hill of the British intelligence. So what they did was they started working together to develop spy networks across Eastern Europe. So while he was working for the German, the Russian Bolsheviks, he also worked for the British intelligence setting up spy networks. Eventually, an envoy from Romania secretly met with Joe and Captain Hill to ask their assistance with getting the Romanian treasures back from Russia. Mm-hmm. Essentially, he was asked to betray the Bolsheviks. And the thing was, Joe had a strong sense of, like, his own sense of, like, right and wrong. Sure. And he didn't agree with the fact the Bolsheviks were holding the Romanian crown jewels hostage. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, if anything, even his repairing their railroad system was just out of like some sort of an altruistic perspective. Right, he, he it was the right thing to do for yeah. the sake of the war. Mm-hmm. But he, yeah, he does what he thinks is right essentially. Mm-hmm. So, with the approval of the British intelligence, Joe and Captain Hill conducted a daring raid on the Kremlin. <laughs> Joe, you, dude, on the Kremlin, what? dude. No. But. Consider it is one of the most highly guarded places on earth, right? Yeah. They probably didn't expect that he was going to steal it. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> They're probably like, oh, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Come on in, Joe. He's got that history of being a tour You want to inspect the Romanian crown jewels and archival records? Come on in. Joe uses influence and bribes to get into the uh, to get the Russian military guarding the treasures to look the other way. Mm-hmm. In the Kremlin. <laughs> okay. Wow. He stole the jewels, the gold, and the records, loaded them into, guess what, two railway cars, <laughs> because what else does Klondike Joe do, right? They fled. They then fled and began their 2,500-mile journey from Moscow to Romania. Again, 
half the U.S. Oh my god! They, dude, do you know what they had to cross? Not only were they crossing the Russian wilderness yeah. by railway car, they had to cross through several Russian military checkpoints and get through the heart of the Russian Civil War because, again, the Bolsheviks were still fighting the the loyalist Russians at that time, right? right? The the rebels as. The Bolsheviks thought of them as. Yeah. So they had to get through a Russian civil war just to get <laughs> to Romania. <laughs> dude, the, dude, even if you write the story, no one, no, no publisher could be like, come on, that can't happen. That, yeah, that's, yeah. Th- it's unbelievable. So at one point in the city of, uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Vapnyarak or Vapnyarka, Vapnyarka. In the city of Vapnyarka, it's a small town or whatever, but at the railway station there, they were stopped by one of the, the Bolshevik station managers, and they, they were blocked and refused to allow to continue on the way. They commandeered the railway station by, you know, by gunpoint. Mm-hmm. Joe surrendered and used his money to throw a party for the guards and the staff at the station. Basically, these people were in the middle of the Russian wilderness, and they were overworked. So they did. So he bribed them kind of, <laughs> with the party. Yeah, yeah, basically he bribed them with the party because they took they they stopped them and took over the train, right? Mm-hmm. So he was like, "All right, we'll throw a party for you." So they threw a party, and what he did was he even hired a band to perform a concert for them. <laughs> so he, he hired Maroon Five, and they <laughs> performed a concert for them. He spiked the tea with lots of whiskey and got everybody drunk. He then cut the telegraph wires. Who's drinking tea at a party? Which Russians were drinking tea at this party, right? <laughs> Whatever the Russian equivalent of Long Island iced tea party. is. Yeah. There's a band. It's great. Where's the booze? There isn't any, but we got tea. I don't know. It's got a strong tea. He hijacked the train again by gunpoint and continued onward on the journey. Eventually, he broke through the final Russian checkpoint and entered Romania. Not only was he shot at by the Russians at the final Russian checkpoint. <laughs> he was shot at by the Romanians at the Romanian <laughs> checkpoint because they saw this train barreling through. Yeah. And what would the Romanians think? Like, it's a Russian attack. Right. So they started shooting at him, and he's, like, like basically leaning out the, the lead train yeah. car, and he's like, we're friends. Like, like Stop shooting us, you flag. idiots. We're friends. Oh, my God. Stop shooting us, you idiots. And at that point, <laughs> that's when he successfully... By the way, this is... December, dude. This is like going. This is like the week before Christmas. Basically, this all happened. I mean, well, this. Remember, it. So takes, pretty much, he, he. It takes like two weeks to get. Let's say, like, like a couple of weeks to get from Moscow by train to get from Moscow to Romania, right? So mm-hmm. by the time he gets to Romania, it's, it's Christmas. a week before Christmas. Oh, dude, what a best he, Christmas per- he, present he ever! He returned the crown jewels to Romania just in time for Christmas. Wow. Yeah, dude. Wow. Wow. So I'm this, naming my kid Joe. <laughs> you need to know what this guy was. I mean, the, the the Romanians loved him. He was a hero to them because he returned the crown jewels that were stolen, right? The records, everything. So the next part of the story, guys, is about Queen Marie of Romania. Mm-hmm. So on March 2nd, 1918, Joe, who is a national hero to the Romanian people, was asked to visit the Romanian palace. This is, by the way, three months after... The heist. This is three months after he returned the crown jewels. Yeah. Uh, the situation at that point was dark. The Germans were invading from the, vet, the west. The Bolsheviks were growing hostile in the east. And at this point, he was an enemy to the Bolsheviks, but they respected the hell out of him, though. I mean, they, they hated him, but they respected him. Of course they did. He's freaking G.I. Joe. Yeah. Dude, he, he's, <laughs> he's, 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 G.I. Joe was based after him. 
<laughs> so see uh, again, they take Canadian characters <laughs> and make them American. Right? Bruce Willis was playing this guy. <laughs> so basically, he met the 17-year-old Queen Marie. Uh, who was the granddaughter of Queen Victoria of England? Okay, and she when she when they met, she asked him, "Have you come to see me?" And he replied, "I've come to help you." And my God, woman, do you need help? <laughs> uh, she was immediately infatuated with him. In her diary, the first entry about him she wrote is that he was a very curious, fascinating sort of man who was frightened of nothing. And her admiration of him grew into trust and then to friendship and then to love. Oh my gosh. Dude. And then to bed. Her diary (laughs) is full of many entries describing his rugged good looks, his strength, his deep blue eyes, and his reassuring smile. This needs a TV series, not a movie. I know. Boyle was, you know, Klondike Joe, was smitten with her and and, and he clasped her hand and promised to never abandon her. He must have been a lot older at this point. He was. Right? He was. Def- I mean, she was seventeen. He's like fifty. Yeah. Yeah. She's seventeen. Yeah. Okay. So many at the time believed that Boyle and Marie became lovers. Dude, remember this. She is the queen of Romania, yeah. married to King Ferdinand of Romania. Right. Yeah, but this guy stole the freaking crown jewels. <laughs> so <laughs> what did the king do? Many believed they were lovers. Uh, eventually, she was sent to the countryside to keep her safe from the war. And he was sent to accompany her and remained by her side the entire period. So, and what he did while he was in uh, Romania was, again, work within the spy networks and basically do a lot of diplomatic uh, intermediary sort of work. Sure. As a result of the work he did, that earned him the British Distinguished Service Order and one of the highest French awards, which is, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, uh, the Croix de Guerre uh, in 1919. After the war, he petitioned the Canadian government to secure $25 million in aid for the Romanian people. They saved Romania. Um, and speaking of saving Romania, dude, he was the, the Romanian government gave him the title Savior of Romania. Dude, that, that he negotiated a multinational situation. Like, yeah. That's insane. And just, just to clarify, this is not an award that's given by by Romania. He literally got the title of savior of Romania. That for the rest of his life, that was his title. It's basically like the Canadian Daenerys where when you introduce him, you've got to take about 10 dude, minutes dude, to run Dude, he's the breaker of change, title. man. He's he's the he's the mother of railway cars, you know? Like <laughs> the mother yeah. of railway He's cars. breaker of change, mother of railway cars. Heister of part, jewels. <laughs> the bear's bane. Man, that other guy really seems inferior now. That guy only killed 99 <laughs> bears. Yeah. This guy saved nations. Here's your underground American hero. He killed some bears. <laughs> he killed some Here's bears. Here's the Canadian hero. So, the other award that he got was the highest award in Romania, which was the Star of Romania. That's not higher than Savior of Romania? Well, like- Savior of Romania is a title they gave him, a, a unique title. title. Yeah. Okay. But the actual highest award. Oh, you can get like a, like a medal. You can get in Romania was the Star of Romania. So he's got the Star of so the Star of Romania, the French Croix de Guerre, the British Distinguished Service Order, and the Order of Stanislaw, and the Order of Stanislaw in Russia. So technically, yeah. dude, the only country that didn't, as far as the information I got, the only country that didn't give him an award was Canada and Ireland. 
Because he was in tourism. Canada. You know, he, was, work people he got a certification for best tour guide. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The only award that Canada would give him is worst hockey manager. <laughs> yeah, because all, that's all they care about. Well, I mean, he did get the Stanley Cup, right? No, they no, lost. lost. Oh, that's he lost. Right, they lost. He lost. I forgot about yeah. that. The Canadians abroad would be like, they probably told them all of that. I was like, Dude, you know yeah, they, but he sucks at hockey. Canada at that time was full of so many unsung hard men that they're like Klondike Joe's nothing compared to Barstool Joe. He's got a story to tell. Listen to his tale. Oh <laughs> yeah, they only got beat they only got beat by the yeah. Ottawa team like ten to four. Right. Ma- Ma- no, like Marmoset Mike he rode a moose to battle. <laughs> Why is he called Marmoset Mike if he rode a moose? That's part of the story. <laughs> So the next part of the story Love is my country sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so the next part of the story is the death. Dude, hold up, Brendan. You don't love your country sometimes, man. You you you're like the tour spot, like the tour promoter right. of Canada. Um, okay, so the I next go part. To Canada. The next yeah, part of the story is Listen. the death. Of Klondike Joe. Oh no! Well, no, dude, no. He, he lived a hundred years ago. He's bound to die. Like you can't be that surprised. You mean he's not like a hundred and sixty-five right now? <laughs> he was awarded immortality. Oh my gosh! He got he got the award of immortality. He got the he, no, he got the holy, he got the holy grail. Okay, so on April fourteenth, nineteen twenty-three, uh, he uh, Klondike Joe was visiting Middlesex, England, when he suffered a stroke. And he died. He was buried in St. James Church in That's Hampton what killed Hill. him? Yeah. Was after even, all of this? Yeah. Well, apparently there's more of this. <laughs> there's more. But, I mean, after everything he did, the heist, the war, the frontiering, everything, a stroke killed him. <laughs> only, no, that's not that, that's not that yeah. ironic. It was only if he got killed by a bear. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we wrap up the stories. Yeah, saved Europe by kill, kill by one bear. Uh, <laughs> that one bear that the... I mean, dude, the, yeah, you know, nine bears. Whitehead. Anyway, Queen, when he died, Queen Marie of Romania wrote, You are still somewhere quite near, and you know it. You know you cannot die in my heart. Oh, they, they were hooking they were, up. They were, yeah, they're, they're total lovers. Queen, well. Queen Marie was not satisfied with how ordinary his tombstone was, so she had a Romanian oh cross gosh. placed on it. The tombstone... Read once she had fi- worked on the tombstone. The tombstone read, "A man with the heart of a Viking and the simple faith of a child." Dude, and here's the thing, man. I don't know if she was aware of of how of his life before she met him because she met him towards the end of that story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In the, probably the last seven to eight years, but. I mean, I don't know about simple faith of a child, man. That guy believed in hard living, <laughs> hard drinking, hard fighting, hard railway navigating. Okay, now that I think about it, what happened to his early family? Dude, I know. Uh, we're just <laughs> back in Canada. Parents, and then we never heard from them again. His, his kids became hockey players, and that's about it. Dude, the, every year on the anniversary of his death, a woman shrouded in black would place flowers on his grave. No one knew who this woman was. However, and this practice of placing flowers on his grave, uh, this continued until 1938, which was the year Queen Marie died. They were hooking up. 
Dang. They were totally hooking up. Dude, that was, that's some family opera shit, dude. Yeah. Like, they were hooking up. <laughs> dude, best best Netflix dude, series about, ever. Dude, think about yes. this dude. Frontiersman, boxing promoter, hockey manager, <laughs> war hero, railway bandit. All we got Enemy is... Enemy of the Bolsheviks. Yeah. Savior of Romania. All we got is freaking Tom Cruise. Lover of the Queen of Romania. <laughs> All we got is freaking Tom Hanks as freaking Forrest Gump, and that was fictional. <laughs> just, just as a reminder of his, of his legacy, dude, he was not only the King of Klondike and the Savior of Romania, he had the highest awards in England, France, Romania, and Russia, and... <laughs> And just to end this story, dude, I mean, for all intents and purposes, mm-hmm. but he was essentially a deadbeat dad who left his <laughs> wife and children in Canada, dude, because he never went back. He's right. Dick. That's right. Well, yeah, but well, the real question is, hopefully, when he sent the money, he sent a letter, at least. That no, was no letter. Don't worry about me. Dude, I can, I can only hope. I, I, I bet you his dad's still standing at New York Harbor just waiting, where the hell is he? <laughs> He's, so that was our episode. Ken, do you have anything to promote or shout out or anything like that? Please keep rating our show on like iTunes and stuff. Yeah, we, do we do we have ratings on iTunes? I hope so. We need yeah, to you love us or hate us. You just need yeah, traffic. Yeah, I, I hope to, we can get some ratings. Yeah, that'd be good. We'll bribe you. <laughs> Don't know what, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hugs and kisses. Uh, Brendan, do you have anything to promote or shout out? Uh, nothing I can think of. Okay. Uh, JB, anything you want to promote or... Um, at this point, uh, I'd just like to shout out to all the friends and family like Kenneth, Noosh here, Ryan, Courtney, everyone. Thanks for being amazing people. Keep doing what you're doing. Do your book clubs. Do your marketing. Do your writing. Keep following your passions. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, also, everybody, we're trying to work on a YouTube show, a post-game show for this show. Mm-hmm. Um, let us know what kind of stuff you want to see on it because we're still on planning stages. But we want it to be a little bit more fun, a little bit more informal. So just tell us on our Facebook or social media what do you want to see. Two things I want to promote. One is a, a very happy birthday to our one of our co-hosts. To our deadbeat our, dad. To our deadbeat <laughs> dad, uh, Ryan Walters. <laughs> happy birthday, buddy. We hope to one day get you back on the show. Someday. 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 Um, Someday. Other thing I want to promote, yeah, please keep listening, visiting our website, rate us. Uh, I hope someday one of you guys gives me a job. Aside from that, that's <laughs> all I've got to promote. So thanks for listening, and uh, thanks for joining us today. The song that we will be ending on is Broken by Jacob Tilburg. So yeah, uh, thanks for joining us and we will see you guys next week. Take care. Bye-bye.
Ryan and Usher Dead is made possible thanks to KDHR, the student-operated radio station of California State University, Dominguez Hills. For more information about KDHR, please visit www.kdhr.net. The intro song for this show is Space Ace by Blind. The intermission songs are Brambles in the Breeze by Protricity, Lost in Time by Your Daily Water, an expert novice, and Radical Dreamers Angelic Mix by Tim Shihai. This music is made available thanks to Overclocked Remix. For more information, please visit ocremix.org.